Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right. Good morning, beautiful people. This is Nube here, your host on Prison Focus Radio here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I want to thank you for joining me here this morning as we continue to commemorate Black August and Black August resistance. We um, are here to uh, be in memorial and remember our fallen comrades in the Black liberation struggle and the freedom fighters um, and those that um, created and started Black August. Oh, also many of them who are um, the focus of Liberate the Caged Voices, uh, our elders who uh, organized the largest and most impactful hunger strike in California's history, the California, historic California hunger strikers, as well as the survivors of decades of the torture of solitary confinement in the notorious Pelican Bay State Prison Security Housing Units, also known as the Shoes. So stay with me this hour as we continue to commemorate and uh, stand in solidarity in the resistance for Black August. All right, I am going to read a piece from, or a commentary from Joka Hashima Jinsai. Um, this is really an understanding that Black August is not something that just happens in August. Um, it is a time for commemoration and a focus on the resistance, on Black August resistance. But the work continues. And I really, this is a wonderful opportunity to highlight the incredible work that these men continue to do on the inside, again, despite being tortured by decades of solitary confinement, the psychological abuse of being denied parole um, countless times, and the fact that they've been in prison, most of them, um, over 25 years, many of them oh, 30 40, and in Rochelle Sinkyu McGee's case, he has been in prison for going on 58 years. That is more than my lifetime. All right, I am going to read this piece uh, again by Joka Hashima Jinsai, titled Black August Resistance and the AIM, the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission. For over 400 centuries, new Africans have struggled for freedom, justice, equality, and human rights. They have not found it. In spite of a culture of capitalist exploitation, institutional racism, and unapologetic white supremacy, still our people hope for change, never fully coming to grips with the reality that the only rights we have are those we can enforce. Across the long breadth and depth of this historical miscarriage, intellectuals, activists, and would-be progressives, and even some self-described revolutionaries, have sought to realize these aims primarily through either the doctrine of reform and inclusion, an approach that history has proven is unequal to the task, or through decrying the evils of the white man and raging against the external mechanisms designed to maintain our oppression. But very rarely do we instead focus on how we have, or in many cases have not, responded to that oppression. The community development and empowerment initiatives we institute during Black August Memorial are central to our culture of resistance. Black August resistance is 365 days a year, and the relative success of these initiatives will determine our relative ability to resist capitalist excesses and encirclement campaigns. The Autonomous Infrastructure Mission, 
aim is specifically designed for this purpose, to make our people and our communities autonomous. In perhaps some of the most patently irrational reasoning in human history, new Africans have looked upon solutions to our collective oppression, which are primarily oriented on our self-determination and self-development, solutions which seek to resolve the internal contradictions at the root of our national oppression as somehow radical, extremist, and most disturbingly unrealistic, as if our people are incapable of genuine freedom. Our people, new Africans in America, have undergone a contrapositive authoritarian conditioning process over the course of centuries, surviving some of the most brutal and unspeakable atrocities in human history. So, of course, some warping of the character structure, some collective irrationality and psychosis is to be expected. However, at this juncture in history, with an over 400-year-long historical record to reflect upon, how is it we are still seeking to, quote, reform a system of institutional racism and naked exploitation, which is functioning exactly as it was intended to? when every so-called reform has simply been a refinement on the same institutions and mechanisms of oppression we've endured since 1619. At what point do we begin to look at ourselves, our own actions and inactions, both irrational and self-defeating, as the true basis of our oppression and then move against them? We have responded to organized policies of divide and control with disunity and self-hatred. Our response to the deliberate application of poverty is to rob, steal, pimp, and sell poison to one another. Our response to racist murder, police brutality, and criminalization is to kill one another, gangbang, or to, to picket and plead for this system to stop functioning as it was designed to do. Instead of organizing ourselves to be strong, we continually choose weakness, constantly looking outside ourselves for salvation from our woes. Instead of structuring ourselves to enforce our rights, we beg the state, a state that has demonstrated in every way humanly possible over the course of centuries that we are not included in its safeguards to somehow honor our rights. When we look at the condition of our communities and our inadequate and irrational response to fixing it, no one can convince me that we are not functioning under some degree of colonial psychosis, a general inability to act rationally to confront and alleviate our suffering. We must all recognize that genuine progressive social change is an exact science based on a concrete analysis of our, current, our concrete conditions. Such an analysis both scientific and objective, bears some inescapable conclusions. The development of unity, functional unity, is a prerequisite for any solution with any hope of success. That was number one. Two, just as no one can be your master unless you consent to being a slave, no one can be our oppressors if we act collectively to oppose our oppression. Three, no one outside of our communities is going to rescue our communities. Four, the only, quote, rights we have in this society are those we can enforce. Five, the only way we are going to change our communities' conditions for the better is by organizing, maintaining, and defending our own community-based infrastructure. We have developed a blueprint, uh, sorry, 
We have developed a blueprint to feed, clothe, house, educate, employ, and defend ourselves. The Autonomous Infrastructure Mission aim, the aim, the aim is composed of several contig contiguous community development initiatives designed to work in interconnection to form a single autonomous community-based infrastructure capable of meeting the basic needs of our people and linking to other AIM organized communities to magnify our capacity to ensure our general welfare and the health of our people. The Sustainable Agricultural Commune, SAC, is designed to establish our own food production, distribution, and surplus systems in our communities based primarily on our collective work and social cooperation. The Community Safe Zones Initiative designed to ensure is designed to ensure there are spaces in our communities where our people, our children, women, and elders may go about social life free from the fear of violent death, abuse, abduction, or injury, safeguarded by both the mutual agreement and organized defense of specific spaces in our communities. The Closed Circuit Economic Initiative ensures we can pool our resources to buy our own collectively owned businesses where we employ only those from our communities who don't have a job, both circulating our wealth in our own communities while eradicating unemployment as we expand the economic circuit. The new African Math and Science Centers Initiative ensures we have community-based institutions where our people are assured a functional understanding of science, technology, engineering, and math in order to meet the needs of our community's scientific and technological challenges. The Emergency Response Network ensures our communities are prepared both individually and collectively to respond during times of natural disaster or civil unrest to ensure the health and safety of our people. The Youth Community Action Program will empower our youth to both value and serve their communities through a two-phase program which includes knowledge of self and martial arts curriculum combined with an economic empowerment program designed to both demonstrate the power of cooperative economics and collective work as well as putting money in their communities. The Secure Communities Mandate ensures our communities both individually and collectively have the means, skill, specialized knowledge and equipment to ensure our collective self-defense against any threat to our people's lives or safety. We can no longer engage in the same humdrum existence of sidewalk escapism, petty hustling and reactionary protesting, believing it will produce anything other than the, self, the same cycles of self-defeating reform and repression. There are irrational responses to the social conditions we face and have proven unequal to the unique challenges of the U.S. race-class arrangement. The AIM gives us the capacity to meet our people's needs and defend our rights in such a way that our health and welfare is in our hands. It is my sincerest hope that, we, that you will join us in this effort, and if you have, you will reaffirm that commitment. If you are not an AIM local coordinator, become one by contacting National Coordinator Adam Brashear at A-B-A-S-H-E-R-E-2-7-6 -E at gmail.com. That's um, Adam Brashear. Um, and you can reach him at a B A S H E R E two seven six at gmail.com or one of the other national coordinating committee members. 
We are our own liberators. In the spirit of Black August resistance, let's be about the business of building the autonomous community-based infrastructure necessary to achieve genuine freedom, justice, and equality, and defend this new basis for social life until we win or don't lose. Joka Hashima Jinsai. Next, we will hear from Michael Zaribu Duro, who we lovingly know as Za. Hey, Za, I'm doing all right. How, doing? how are you doing? Oh, oh I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing, I just said I was just, just saying I go to the yard um, at 12. I just said I stay in the car to tell you was doing stuff. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad that you called. Yeah. I know that you were hoping to be able to call back. I just wanted to bring to your attention, you know, I've got a couple more shows left um, you know, for the okay. month of August um, on Prison okay. Focus Radio. And I didn't know okay. if you wanted to say something about Black August. Because you do seem to be, uh, you know, attributed with, um, you know, the, 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 the creation of it, part of it. I mean, you along with others. Okay. And is that, uh-huh. is that true? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in, when Katari died, I was in, I was in, it was a shoe program in Palm Hall, you know, when Katari passed away. And, well, when he was killed, I'm sorry. And when the idea was floated around about the commemoration, the commemorating of um, uh, a lot of the people who had sacrificed so much um, during that month, um, and it was brought to my attention down in um, um, Chino, in, um, in Palm Hall, in the shoe program down there. Um, it was myself and a few other people down the Empire Hall, and we're the ones that contributed to um, implementing it um, down there in the southern part, um, the, the southern region down there in Chino. That is, uh, that is so beautiful. I, I, I didn't know any of that. This is something that I'm learning. But in my, one okay. of the things that is happening around uh, Black August, that is showing this call up. and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Uh-huh. As it's becoming more public, it's running the risk of being co-opted yeah. and and talked about that's in true. a way that's not necessarily correct or really authentic. And so yeah, I am true. really wanting to, um, you know, to respect that I have been able to uh, be involved with Black, uh, you know, in Black August. It's very uh-huh. new for me. Um, I stopped drinking yeah. over two years ago because of Black August, my first in, um, okay. introduction and invite to participate, and uh-huh. um, and so I it, it's a very it's now very personal for me. And as you know, anyway, I I, yeah. I um, you know knowing that I, I I'm just learning that that all yeah. of you exactly. hunger strikers, those that have been tortured, you know, uh-huh. with decades of solitary confinement, now are also the ones that, that created Black August. This feels so important to me that that we hear from all of right. you about the truth of what Black August is, uh-huh. how it was developed. And I really want to yeah. um, I really want to document those your voices and your commentary to make sure that it doesn't get co opted and, and watered down. Okay. So that's why okay. I'm asking about this. Okay, that's great then. That's great. it's about it's, it's it's really timely that um, something like this is finally being done, and it's kind of like amazing to see how you know the, the the form that you all helped to create for a lot of the voices within the walls during the hunger strike 
it's really amazing to see how those forms um, are opening up to include exactly what it is that you're talking about right now. Um, I, I, I thought it was. I thought it's, I really think that it was. It was really inevitable um, because um, you know, ever since people have been out um, to shoot, like you now, you actually do have a lot of the people that were responsible for those things who have went home. They finally had an opportunity um, to go home, and I think that all of these things are now responsible for everybody being able to make a contribution, everybody that wants to, being able to make a contribution to the telling uh, of all of those histories. And it's really important because I think that um, the historical record, we are supposed to be the ones, by, and by we, I mean all of us, you, Ms. Radcliffe, a lot of the cats that um, have been released, um, a lot of the guys that's still left behind, a lot of the women that's left behind, uh, everybody that's continuing to engage in the struggle in some kind of way. Um, I think it's hugely important uh, for the historical record that is going to be left and that's being prepared now that that historical record uh, reflect how they felt, um, when it was that they felt that, and what was the motivation for engaging in uh, things like that right there. Uh, because it was, like when we first came to prison in the 1970s, it was an extremely brutal period of time. Um, it, was a, it was extremely brutal. Um, like, um, you know, and prior to my coming to prison in the 70s, you had cats in prison like George Jackson, um, George Big Jack Lewis, um, W.L. Nolan. You had a lot of these uh, brothers who were already in prison uh, fighting um, to demand that the humanity of black people be respected um, inside of these prisons. And many of us who came to prison at the same time, during that particular period of time then, had the benefit of actually um, seeing what that looked like by the people who were responsible for the Qatari Garden sessions. Like we was all in uh, the adjustment center together um, in AC. So it was, but it was brutal. I mean, it really, in my mind, California was probably the most brutal prison system in the entire state, in the entire country. Um, and because so much of the brutality um, had everything to do with racism. Like, um, the handful of brothers who really did take up the mantle to fight for the liberation of, uh, the humanity of black people inside of these prisons. We didn't just have our backs against the wall as it related to the obvious, uh, people that was right there in front of us. You know, racism like the COs, um, um, certain, um, people who were doing time in prison. But we also had to concern ourselves with, like, other blacks who were so afraid of those elements right there that they sold out our interest to those elements right there. That really was a reality uh, back then at that time right there. And so it, it was just an extraordinarily brutal period of time. And the only thing that you had 
to have to really focus on was staying alive. That was really what time it was, just, just trying to stay alive. And so, you know, like, um, unfortunately, uh, Katari, he, he was murdered during that particular period of time in um, 1978. Um, I had just left San Quentin. Um, San Quentin's Adjustment Center, um, and I was in, I was sent down to um, Chino um, in Pine Hall, the shoot program there, uh, with another uh, really good soldier named uh, Hashima Murdoch, Big Doc, um, and a, uh, a buddy of mine uh, named Smitty. We had left and went down to um, Chino, and not too long after we got there, um, I, got a, I got a letter um, um, informing us that uh, Katari uh, had been murdered and how it happened, you know, so, and Black Caucus, um, I think that Black Caucus, Black Caucus would have became a reality anyway, but uh, Black Caucus actually uh, came into being not too long after that right there. You know, you started with, um, you know, talking of, not started with, but you did mention that George Jackson really, it was about uh, recognizing the humanity of black people, right, and and their right. struggle yeah. to to be free, and uh, uh, what I'm hearing from you now as you've progressed into the conversation, um, uh, that um, the the murder of Katari Golden um, was all seemed also to be an act of recognizing the humanity of your struggle um, by by commemorating yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, Qatar was part of, like, again, Qatar, George, like, um, they were revolutionary thinkers. But the immediate focus in prison was on protecting the humanity of black people in prison, um, ensuring that um, the humanity of black people were not, um, was not disrespected. Uh, because it was happening. Um, but the with the exception of um, places like Tracy, um, where you had a lot of younger cats, <laughs> and Tracy was uh, the nickname for Tracy was Gladiator School, and it was that name. It was nicknamed Gladiator School for a really good reason, mm. and it was almost like it was just a whole prison full of soldiers down in Tracy. Um, I went to Tracy. Um, I went to San Quentin in 1975, and then I went to Tracy um, in 1976. That's why I met, um, you know, brothers like LP, um, Pitt, Paul Red. Um, I had new LP in the county jail. Um, LP was actually one of the people that took me under Swain um, when uh, we was in the county jail together. Um, um, I had actually met um, in 1973. Um, a lot of, a lot this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. That I became friends with. Um, um, Ifuma, um, Campbell, um, Fatih Carter, um, all of us was actually in the Los Angeles County Jail together um, in the early 1973. Uh, we were all arrested for the charges that we ended up in prison for. And so we all, from the county jail, we all ended up in prison together too. Um, but I met PR and um, I met PR and Tracy in 1976 um, in Kaywin. We were all in Kaywin together. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a, it was, it was really one of the, one of the most remarkable periods in my life because it gave me an opportunity to, um, to meet people that I consider to be some of the best people that I've ever met. 
excuse me, in my life. Um, Sango Jones, who was just recently released, he was one of the guys that took me under the wing. Um, I was saying Quentin when I first got there, Elder Freeman, um, Kojo, um, who passed away several years ago out of Oakland, was one of the people that took me under the wing. Um, so um, it was, it was, you know, really one of the most uh, remarkable periods of my life um, because of the people that I had an opportunity to meet and the people that was um, also really responsible for helping to shape uh, my character and the mentality uh, that it ultimately led to um, the kind of revolutionary thinking uh, that I believe in today. Mm. Right, and then that ultimately became the very reason that they, so um, that uh, the, the CDC's small R and all of their various uh, yeah. agents and uh, what I would also, I would call gangs, um, labeled all yeah. of you as the worst of the worst because of your idea, of your, of your thinking, of your revolutionary thinking going from the uh, transforming from the criminal man, the criminal right mentality to the revolutionary mentality, and being able to That's commemorate your your humanity, the humanity of your comrades that have that were murdered exactly. before you, and um, and so here we we are today, and now with um, yeah. Black August Memorial and Black August Resistance, um, and do you? We were, we were willing to fight back then, mm -hmm. and we still are willing to fight back. That's the problem that they all right this is where my conversation uh needed to end in that 15 minutes with za but he did end up calling back to talk about what was happening there at sadaf in corcoran so uh here we go with the um the callback from za yeah, these are one of the best times uh, for me whenever i stay in at uh, 10 30 i'm gonna be honest with you the reason it was a little bit easier for me to choose to stay in at this time, not right here. One, because I knew it would be the best time to call, but it's a lot of people here that's sick. They, they really are sick. Mm. I mean, um, yeah, tell us what's going on there. Yeah, please give us, give, tell us yeah. what's going on here at, at Sadaf. It's, it's quite a few people here that's sick. And for, unfortunately, um, in this instance, like they say, and they're taking the position that they can't go over to the clinic to say anything about it. I mean, um, I, I don't get that, and I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to try to articulate a reason for that right there, mm -hmm. um, because it's just. But it's 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 pretty bad here right now, and I, I really do get that from an administrative standpoint. Um, if if another uh, pandemic broke out, because again, you have wall-to-wall -wall people here. I mean, about a year ago, it was a tour came down here from Sacramento, and when they, they looked at the pods and the makeup of the pods, they actually um, informed the administration that the top bunks in each pod was supposed to have been removed. And they ordered that at least one of the beds in um, one of the pods be removed in order to eliminate the crowded um, spaces and um, and as a result of that elimination, um, people being healthy, uh, having an, uh, an opportunity to not be, uh, have another pandemic break out. Well, that never happened. You know, instead of removing the bunks, um, people 
everybody got put on top bunks. Um, again, um, the place got packed with people. And sure enough, after all of this happened, um, now you have a whole lot of people here. It really is a lot of people here that's sniffling, um, sneezing, coughing, um, and who are actually saying that um, they, ha- they have the virus, but they won't go over to the clinic. Um, it's a food sale coming up wow. in uh, September, the first week of September. And some of the guys that went to the food sale, the way it's, the way the, 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 the thinking is, is that if you're not here when the food sale comes, then you just lost. You just lost, you know, um, your food will be thrown away, things like that right there. I'm not so sure that that's true. That is, uh, for something like this, it should be just a, really just a matter of the food being sent over to the sea yard where people are housed at. Right. But, um, wow, so there... You know, it's... Mm, mm. Huh? Right, so so there's this... It, it sounds like there's just this uh, strange... Well, first of all, that CDCR hasn't complied with what they were what they were ordered to do, exactly. of course, is just, right. um, I wonder if that's just taking a psychological toll on people. If you're going to continually yeah. subject people to possibly getting it because you're not going to even just follow the basic basic orders of a judge or um, uh-huh. of the policies, uh, that's that's a, a, a little bit scary. And then also to think that they're not making any accommodations if people do have to walk away and go to uh, go to the clinic, that they won't get food. That's psychological trauma. That's psychological abuse, these things that I, they're I doing. I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's this real warped type of uh, psychology yes. that tends to be developed um, under these kind of circumstances. Um, you have people, you have people, some people are really upset uh, because for them, the issue is they've been put and kept in harm's way. Um, right. You know, and in, in, in prison, there just tends to be sometimes this this this, this political line um, is what they call it. That tends to be developed. Um, um, I, I don't understand it. I don't know why it is or nothing like that. But in, in instances like this, it's like well, no, you can't go over to the clinic and let them know nothing about this right here. There is there, there couldn't possibly be a logical reason for that right there. There really couldn't be a logical reason for it. But, you know, I think it might be something like, you know, you got this pandemic, um, you were in prison where things tend to develop um, pretty unevenly anyway. Um, The level of maturity, um, it's it's just really warped. And I think that in in environments like this, where that's the starting point for a lot of people, it makes sense that in that kind of environment, um, the kind of thinking would be developed where if I get sick and my life depends on it, I still can't go up to the clinic um, to make anybody aware of my being sick or receiving some kind of assistance. That this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. That I might be able to get, you know, so... But it's, it, it is pretty in, in, in all the buildings. Um, I'm being told in all three of the buildings on the yard, there are people in those buildings that have, have said to me that uh, people are sick, you know, they, um, they cough in, um, they just won't get no um, I'm, I'm really surprised. The only thing I'm, I guess I'm surprised at is that um, it's almost impossible 
for the administration to not be aware of whatever it is that's taking place on the yard, especially when it's serious and stuff. You have people that make sure that the administration is aware of what they need to be made aware of. So it's hard for me to imagine that this hasn't gotten back to the administration. It's hard for me to imagine that right there. And um, it makes sense to me that their response wouldn't be um, one of um, out of concern the medical department because again um, I think that because they are in violation of what it was that they were supposed to be doing they haven't did they haven't made none of the modifications in the pods they've done just the opposite as, as a matter of fact and as a result of that right there I can imagine that this is something that um, the medical department they wouldn't want this to get out because again um the same thing that happened in San Quentin when they transferred everybody from Chino to San Quentin and infected everybody. It's a similar situation that's taking place here right now in that you have a whole lot of people that came from Tracy, Solano, and a couple of other prisons. They came here, and now that they, they're all here, like it, you are starting to see uh, you know, it, uh, a recorded increase in cases. But in this instance right here, I would imagine that maybe, I would, I would actually say maybe 50% of the buildings might be sick right now. Zara, because nothing I, has been, uh-huh. I'm sorry, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I mean, like, um, I'm, I'm not tired or I don't have any headaches. I don't have, like, none of the things that's associated with uh, the virus or nothing. I don't have any of that right there. Uh, and I'm just assuming it might be because of the, the shots that I took. Right. Did, wait, did you, and did you get the vaccination or, um, yeah, did you get the vaccination? Yes. Okay. There's no That's oversight. True. There's no, um, right. yeah, there's no oversight and there's no accountability. They just continue to act in these ways that are completely dehumanizing and basically putting your lives in danger yet again. They really don't care if people die. Six there, the, the I agree. San Quentin has had another outbreak as well. Apparently, apparently, what they, yes, six people now have COVID in San Quentin okay. and they, okay. apparently they've shut down the transfers. Uh, but, um, we all know they were supposed to take down the top bunks. No. What do they do? They fill the top bunk. Right. You know, they're, exactly. you know, the that's things true. that they're supposed to do, they just say, no, we're going to do what we want. They no. just, that's it. You're right about that. And continually you're, putting you're your lives right in danger. That, that is psychological torture. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with that right there. That's really part of like, those words. I mean, for a long time, um, you know, shoe was not called solitary confinement and housing people back there under those circumstances was not called psychological torture. Um, and it was. Right. And once those words became a part of, that, a, a part of the conversation that was taking place under those circumstances right there, then the conversation took on a, a turn for the better. And that's something that's, that definitely does need to happen. Um, even here, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like if it's just and I know it's, I'm, I'm venturing a little, fearing off a little bit, but it's it's like in the United States, the last sterilization law that was taken off the books, it was legally, it was actually legal to sterilize women. Mm -hmm. And the last sterilization law 
that was taken off the books was in about 1977. And so, like, we really do need to interject off into the conversation about the humanity of people being abused, and in this case, women, the humanity of women being abused. We need to ask... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. We need to actually make part of that conversation. The language that's used is that there was there was a, a particular period of time when there was laws on the books that completely justified the humanity of women being disrespected. Um, it was called sterilization. Mm-hmm. And so, and then once we do that right there, we can actually, you know, I mean, uh, uh, the abuses that continue to take place to this day, like, um, you know, because sometimes when we talk about these abuses, we talk about these abuses as if somehow it either just started or somehow um, um, there was a break in the chain, um, in the historical chain, and there was a particular period of time when it stopped. And it never stopped. Those abuses are nonstop. The trauma that results from the abuses are nonstop. I mean, I just learned that the, uh, the governor of New York, um, Cuomo, it's a woman that's going to, um, to be the next um, governor of the state of New York. In a state like New York, we talked about New York now. She's the first woman ever to have that uh, position right there. Mm-hmm. In the United States, right. we are still talking about... You have 60 seconds remaining. In the 21st century, we're still talking about first. Like, the first woman for this, the first woman for that. Um and that's, that's patriarchy at its best. The reason why it's like that right there is because uh, patriarchy has made it impossible for things like that to happen. And it's been historical. It's, there hasn't been any break in the chain. It's been nonstop. I'll try to call back later on. Okay, that would be great. I always love talking okay. with you, Zah. Okay. All right, much love to you. Okay, Thank yeah. you so much. Okay, you too, sister. So you appreciate you. Okay. okay. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. What I find most remarkable when talking with men like Za or Ifoma or Yafeo or Hishima or Paul Red or G2, any of these guys, all of them that developed and created Black August, that were the organizers of the hunger strikes, is their incredible show of humanity. Za said that you know, Black August, the the or the the teachings of George Jackson and W. L. Nolan. It was about um, about making sure that the humanity of the black prisoners was not going to be disrespected. It was not going to be um, discarded. And they continually, to this day, we are talking fifty years later and more. That is what they continue to do. And what we what often doesn't get said is that while they are maintaining their humanity, these guards, this system, uh, these officials, all of those in Sacramento, all of these DOCs, all of these guards, all of these guards unions, these police, they're already dehumanized. They cannot continue to operate in the ways that they operate and be showing a sense sense of humanity. That's why they can't show it to these prisoners. And yet these prisoners, these men, continue, continue to show it. 
and I say just these men because I'm talking about those that developed back August and um, and uh, well I'm going to say the men and women excuse me I'm just going to sorry these men and women continually showing us what humanity looks like all right I'm going to read a short missive about W.L. Nolan um, from his W.L. Nolan mentorship program that I think uh, became public somewhere in maybe 2013. Um, but this is what they have to say here. W.L. Nolan was one of the founders of the Black Liberation Movement in the California prison system. Along with comrade George Jackson, W.L. Nolan was instrumental in shaping and molding the exemplary model of undaunting resistance that many of us new Africans now find ourselves emulating today. W.L. Nolan grew up in the hard knock streets of Oakland, California, and was the younger brother to Cornell Nolan, who, like his big brother, was a phenomenal prison boxing champion. Many consider W.L. the next Marvin Hagler in the making, as the Carmen was that good with his hands. In the era of the 1960s and 1970s, the California prison system was and remains mired in a cesspool of injustice fomented by a culture of institutional racism. Adding to this contradiction was and is the multitude of Americanized offshoots, prisoners, who aided racist prison guards with terrorizing and attacking new African black prisoners, often gaining extremely favorable, favorable advantages, such as three or more racist lackeys, prisoners, given access to store uh, bought knives by prison guards being let out on the tier for their recreational exercise period where they would be allowed to attack the sole new African also out on the tier for his recreational exercise time. Comrades W.L. W. Nolan, George Jackson, William Christmas, Howard Toll, Alvin Sweetjugs Miller, Katari Golden, Cleveland Edwards, and countless others, countless others not only successfully resisted these attacks, militarily, but W.L. Nolan had the foresight to politicize these contradictions by filing a petition in the court where the comrade asserted, prison guards are complicit in fomenting racial strife by aiding white inmate confederates in ways not actionable in court, i.e. leaving cell doors open to endanger the lives of new Africans, placing fecal matter or broken glass in the food served to new Africans, etc., as these material factors would be difficult to prove. And you can see this at the uh, C.W.L. Nolan et al. Uh, versus Cletus Fitzeris et al. Four months later, on January 13, 1970, comrade W.L. Nolan was assassinated, shot at point-blank range by white racist prison guard O.B.G. Miller. This murder was ruled a justifiable homicide in spite of concrete evidence that the comrade was defending himself and his fellow new Africans from a staged racist attack on their lives while in Soledad's O-Wing exercise yard. I urge people to read The Melancholy History of Soledad Prison by Min Sun Yi and The Road to Hell by Paul Libertore in order to grasp the true historical origins of our legacy of resistance under the leadership of comrade W.L. Nolan. Can't stop, won't stop. The W.L. Nolan Mentorship Program has been constructed as a dedication towards carrying forward the legacy of comrade W.L. Nolan. Long live the memory of our beloved comrade. All right, I'm going to read this uh, 
one piece here be um, still from the uh, the mentorship program that you can find at WL Nolan Mentorship Program, all one word, dot wordpress dot com. Um, so I'm going to read this last piece because I also want to uh, read the mission mission statement. So like George Jackson and his comrades, the mentors in the W.L. Nolan Mentorship Program have much to teach. Intellectually and politically astute, they can provide, in addition to their copious knowledge of culture and history, including what they've lived, they have developed uncommon self-discipline in order to withstand and resist the daily torture of solitary confinement. W.L. Nolan Mentorship Program. Sounds like some of the guys we know. Yes. So... Um, some of the people that are tagged here, of course, we heard George Jackson, Cleveland Edwards, Howard Toll, Katari Golden, Kijana Tashiri Askari, Minsun Yi, um, uh, Paul Libertore, W.L. Nolan, of course, William Christmas, Yafeo Ayapo. Okay, I want to read the mission statement, and it looks like we can find it here. Okay. The W.L. Nolan Mentorship Program is a community-based pen pal service that has been constructed in order to provide the people of our communities with an opportunity to connect with and engage the current class and generation of new African Black revolutionaries on several fronts. There are many within our communities who have unfortunately succumbed to an incorrect level of understanding that the new African Black liberation movement, as it once was constructed under the tutelage and guidance of such beautiful and courageous new African Black brothers as W.L. Nolan, William Christmas, James McLean, Cleveland Edwards, Alvin Sweetjugs Miller, Jeffrey Katari Golden, Comrade George Jackson, and countless others, was somehow ended when these brothers were murdered by the fascist goons of this police state. This is an urgent need for this level of false consciousness to be corrected to accurately reflect the new African black liberation movement as it existed in the 60s and 70s. It is still being propagated by today's class of new African black revolutionaries as predicted upon the continuum of the same ideological struggle of new African revolutionary nationalism, NARN. That struggle entails resisting the litany of human rights abuses, such as genocide, that are based upon systemic cultural deprivation and social isolation, torture by way of indefinite solitary confinement, institutional racism, police brutality, arbitrary parole board denials, inadequate food and nutrition, inadequate, inadequate medical and mental health care, being deprived of our First Amendment freedoms of speech, expression, and association, and falsely labeling prisoners as gang members. W.L. Nolan. The Objectives. The W.L. Nolan Mentorship Program will serve as a medium to negate the level of false consciousness amongst the people by providing the people with a correct understanding of the new African Black Liberation Movement via the social pr principles of each one teach one, which is our communal cooperative work, where the people will have the opportunity to educate themselves on various issues by corresponding with new African black revolutionaries. For those individuals who are not familiar with the social concept of each one teach one, it essentially entails replacing individualism with collectivism, where the problems of the individual become the problems of the community, by speaking with one voice via our collective struggles of unified activity that is geared towards finding and developing community-based solutions, we will protect the health of our communities. Hence, participants of the W.L. Nolan 
a mentorship program are encouraged to discuss and write about any personal issue that they may need mentorship with, as we new African black revolutionaries can provide tutelage and guidance in the following areas. One, violence prevention and intervention. Two, developing critical thinking skills. Three, cultural tolerance and sensitivity. Four, alternatives to joining gangs. Five, support for single mothers. Six, economic empowerment. Seven, how to overcome alcohol and drug addiction. Eight, domestic violence conflict resolution. Nine, avoiding negative peer pressure. And 10, providing tools to help develop community responsibility and awareness. A study guide will be provided to the people as part of the W.L. Nolan Mentorship Program so that people will have the opportunity to raise their level of understanding of the new African Black Liberation Movement as it is presently constructed in today's slave camps, prisons, to thus uproot the materialism of false consciousness amongst the people. The issue of being right or wrong as it pertains to the material in the study study guide is of no real significance as freedom is a constant struggle. But it is imperative to understand that the WLNMP can only be sustained by each correspondent being willing to donate and contribute stamps and writing paper as part of their participation in correspondence, as this is the only way that communication can be maintained. We're allowed to have up to 40 stamps or embossed envelopes and a total of 500 sheets of writing paper sent to us per mailing. However, any amount for example, five to ten stamps or embossed envelopes and 50 sheets of writing paper that is sent will be definitely appreciated as it will go a long way towards achieving the objectives herein. Participants will be required to fill out the WLNMP application so that your progress and completion of the program can be properly documented with a certificate of achievement and extra credits if you are a person in school. And on that note, All power to the people who do not fear real freedom. Educate to liberate. For more information, for more information, um, you can see here. So um, again, this is, um, I don't know when this is updated, but the people that are a part of this at this time were Kijana Tashiri Askari, Yafeo Yapo, and Bariti Yero. So um, this is the kind of work that, these brothers have been doing inside. This is um, what Black August uh, Memorial, Black August Resistance is about. So this W.L. Nolan Mentorship Program, I believe, is still going, maybe, uh, but I believe by different people, although I think it is still going with Kijana Tashiri Askari. Um, And I will be bringing forth, uh, again, over the next week, I believe we just have one more week here, um, some more um, uh, websites and just work, just more work that these brothers are doing inside for people to pay attention to because, um, again, um, this is a learning experience. This is a learning opportunity um, to deepen our understanding as uh, Black August Um, Memorial and Black August resistance is becoming more into the mainstream. It is important to understand better where it came from so that we can maintain um, its authenticity and and respect it on its terms um, and with the people that have created it. All right, there are a few other names that I had missed on uh, regarding this, uh, the mentorship program. 
um, Alvin Sweet Jugs Miller, Bariti Williamson, and Bariti Yarrow. All right, well, I just discovered that Bob Dylan wrote a song commemorating the murder of George Jackson. So, of course, I'm going to have to play that here. I woke up this morning, there were tears in my bed. Killed a man I really love. I shot him through the head. Lord, Lord, they cut George Jackson down. Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground. Send him off to prison. For a seven dollar rivalry They closed the door behind him And they threw away the key Lord, Lord, they cut George Jackson down Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground Shit from no one, he wouldn't buy down on deal. Authorities hated him because it was just too real. Lord, Lord, they cut George Jackson down. Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground. They cursed him as they watched him from above But they were frightened of his power They were scared of his love Lord, Lord, so they cut George Jackson down Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground
All right, beautiful people, that is our show. Don't hesitate to go to prisons.org, make a donation, and read the articles, as well as sanfranciscobayview.com. Make a donation, read the articles. Love y'all. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.